0: Good morning. I am Andrew Crosby. I'm the missions minister here on staff. And uh, in that position, I've been able to travel to work with our partners at Reclaim Project, Brett and Allison Barnhill, the past three years um, with the work they're doing in Zimbabwe and Lesotho. And those trips are amazing. We're planning another one for June. So if you're interested, come and find me. Um, everything about those trips are amazing, except for the travel. The travel is brutal. Um, the most direct way to get there is to go from here to Atlanta, and then Atlanta to Johannesburg, and then Johannesburg to Harare, Zimbabwe. So that's three flights. That, that middle flight, Atlanta to Johannesburg, by itself is 16 hours, and it's, it's just brutal. On one of the trips, uh, one of our, our team members leaned back and looked at a couple of us, and it, you could tell her face was kind of on the verge in between laughing and crying, and she said, we have been on this plane for eight hours, and we still have eight hours. And so we all, our hearts sunk a little bit, and we laughed a little bit, and then we watched four more movies. <laughs> um, that, uh, that flight is brutal. Those trips are amazing. Um, imagine with me now that you're, you're on that trip. You've spent the past 10 days working hard, playing hard. Uh, you've been around people from sunup to sundown every day. And you're getting on, you've made it to Johannesburg. You're getting on that flight to come back to Atlanta, back into the United States. You're preparing for your 16-hour flight. Um, if you're like me, you, you hit a max of, of just being around people. You just need a little alone time, a little quiet time. And so you, you get on the plane, you sit on your aisle seat, and you've got a middle seat open next to you, but you're kind of toward the end, but you think, uh, there's still people getting on. I'm not getting my hopes up yet. And then uh, that looks like Everybody. And you're like, I have struck it rich. I'm going to get this extra room. I can spread out. I have a place for my music. I can put my books there. It's going to be wonderful. But then, your, your hopes are crushed. That, that's the woman at the well. She spent all of this time preparing, creating a life so that she didn't have to have this interaction with people. And then she gets to the well, and she's interrupted. She's interrupted. That's what we're going to look at today. She's worked so hard to avoid people so she can just get her water in peace. But here she is interrupted. Now having a road to herself for a 16-hour flight is amazing. But the Samaritan woman had created a life where she had a road to herself every day. That kind of isolation is a joy killer. It's not amazing. Um, it. She doesn't want to live in this isolation, but she can't imagine anything else. A little community, a little conversation. It's just not worth. The, the, the stares, the jokes behind her back, the criticism she has to endure. Maybe she's just back looking at her life, and she wonders, how did I get here? How did I get to this place where I'm just isolated? I'm by myself, and this is the only way I can maintain a little bit of peace, a little bit of joy. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John 4. We're going to be reading there today. And we're starting in verse 1, and we're going to read 1 to 30, and then we're going to take a little break and read 39 to 42. I'll be reading out of the NIV. I think those are the words that will be on the screen, um, but the translations are close here. So. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus... "'Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. "'It was about noon. "'When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, "'Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' "'His disciples had gone into town to buy food. "'The Samaritan woman said to him, "'You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. "'How can you ask me for a drink? "'For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. "'Jesus answered her, "'If you knew the gift of God "'and who it is that asked you for a drink, "'you would have asked him, "'and he would have given you living water.'" Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now skip down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for the truth that it holds. We thank you for how it reminds us, even today, of of who you are and who we are before you. Help us to see this love, to see this joy, and to see who you are in a new light change us and prepare us uh, for your coming at Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we find out a little later on in the passage that this woman has had five husbands, and she's living with another man at the time. This might explain why she's coming to the well at midday and not at morning or night. She's trying to avoid the other women because of her reputation. Fear and shame have become the determining factors in her life. Every decision, Every action, every household chore has to be evaluated on a pros and cons chart. She goes back and to see sure, it's easier to get water in, in, in the cool of the day, and I'd love to catch up with the latest gossip, but if I do that, I'm gonna have to, have to answer all of their questions, listen to their criticism, it's just not worth it. And it sounds like she said, it's just not worth it day after day after day. So now it's just routine. It's just habit. It's easier to avoid, to avoid people than to be present and to be vulnerable. And now she's isolated, partly because of her, her choices, partly as consequences of her actions and decisions. Do you think this woman could hear the laughter and the conversation of the other women as they walked together in the cool of the morning? Did she long to hear those conversations and join in those jokes? Was every day a stinging reminder of her situation? Have you ever been in a season where you felt isolated? Maybe through your choices, maybe not. Have you ever pushed people toward isolation? Maybe with an unkind word or a judgmental comment. Isolation keeps us from joy. It keeps us from fully experiencing the love, the peace, the comfort of those around us. We we think that we are the only ones going through it, and we have no one to share the joys of life with. This is where the woman finds herself. So despite her isolation, she's found a way to cope. She can navigate her day, manage her house in a way that she's protected from the scorn of others. There's comfort and security in this, but comfort comes at a cost. It's limiting. She's safe, but she's also alone. She's unable to fully participate in the life of her community. She's safe, but alone. Perhaps this is all she can imagine. Maybe going beyond that just costs too much, so she stays there alone, but with a little bit of comfort, a little bit of safety. All right, I want you to imagine with me now what this trip to the well might have been like. If you want to close your eyes, do that. If not, I totally understand. Um, All right, so she woke up early. She listened to the other women as they made their way to the well. She longed to be with them. She knew there was no place for her. There wasn't room for a woman like her in that group. Finally, at midday, she feels like it's safe to make her way to the well. Everyone else will surely be home now, hiding from the sun. She'll be able to get water in peace, not have to answer any probing questions, or pretend not to hear the comments made behind her back. But from a distance, she sees someone at the well. This can't be. She's worked so hard to avoid everyone. Who would be at the well at noon? Then she gets a little closer. She sees it's a man. And then she sees his clothes, and she can tell it's a Jewish man perfect. She won't even have to talk. There's no way that a Jewish man will want to talk with a Samaritan woman. Then out of nowhere, will you give me a drink? She's worked so hard to avoid this scenario, but here she is, interrupted by Jesus. And when he asks about her husband, she tries to avoid the issue by just saying she doesn't have a husband. Jesus knows this and pushes further for the truth that she's had five husbands. As she talks to Jesus, it becomes clear this is no ordinary man. How would he know everything about her? When Jesus calls her, he's calling her out of her comfort into true joy. When Jesus shows up, it interrupts all of her attempts at comfort, at peace, at joy. And in order to experience this full joy, this living water, she has to be willing to let go of her comfort. To drink this living water, the Samaritan woman has to come out of hiding and share in the life of her community. The phrase living water um, was used to distinguish moving water, like a a river or stream, from from still water, like a pond. Um, It also had significance for cleansing rituals. You could go to living water, to moving water, and be cleaned. Jesus uses this phrase to take it a step further. This living water now gains new meaning through life in Christ. Back in verses 13 and 14, it says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So in there it says welling up. And I think that may be a little tame for what's communicated here. Um, I like bursting forth or waking from a coma. This morning we got to celebrate baptism uh, with John and Eli. And we got this beautiful picture of new life here. We saw Eli bursting forth out of the water, walking in new life. We get to see this. And it's transformation from death to life. This living water that Jesus offers gives us new life. It gives us abundant life, eternal life. And those who drink from it will thirst no more. Living water is different and new, not like any water you've ever had before. All right, so I love Coke and Dr. Pepper. Um, I absolutely love it. But a couple of years ago, I realized I was drinking way too much, and uh, so with a little encouragement from Allie, we started looking at, at ways I could cut back. And one of the things, I, I had one every morning when I woke up. It was my caffeine in the morning. I don't really like hot drinks, so coffee wasn't going to be that replacement. And then I found, this is a sponsored uh, segment of the sermon here, uh, then I found this Mio Energy. It's a little water enhancer. It has some caffeine and B vitamins, and uh, so, so I've been using it. And uh, I enjoy it in the morning. Uh, it gives me a caffeine boost. And then at, at about 2.30 in the afternoon, when I hit my wall, I can, I can go back to it. Um, but it's, so, so you just squirt, squirt one or two squirts in there. You know, it adds a little color, adds a little flavor, gives you some caffeine. But it doesn't transform this water. This is still water. And I feel like sometimes this is what we do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we take the water, the life we're already living, And just add a little bit of knowledge about Jesus into it. We just give a squirt here, there, and it sustains us for a little bit. But it's not transformed. Our life isn't made new by that little bit of knowledge. So we we may take a drink, but we're thirsty again. We have to keep going back to it because our life isn't transformed here. This living water, it transforms us. The Samaritan woman is transformed right there. She has to let go of her security if she really wants this living water. She can no longer be anonymous. Her life is going to be known. Her life used to be about avoiding people, and now she's running through town seeking them out. The fear and the shame that controlled her are gone. She's running now a new life with a joy that she couldn't have imagined just a few minutes ago. Her life has changed, and she has to share that transformation and that joy with those around her. It's transformation from being fear-driven to being love-drawn. She's experienced that love of Christ. The Samaritan woman had her life and routine interrupted by Jesus. First, she was caught off guard. Then she was annoyed. Then she was surprised. Then amazed. And then finally, she was transformed. In Advent, we're being prepared for the interruption of Christ. We slow down. We sit still, we quiet our lips and our minds, and we wait. We wait for interruption, we wait for our world to be disrupted, and we wait for Christ to redefine what it means to have joy. Now I'm going to let Rick come back up as we get ready for, for our time of response, but I don't want him to play yet. I want us to take a few minutes to sit still. I want us to quiet our hearts, to quiet our minds, And listen for where God may be moving us to new things. Where is Christ looking to interrupt your life? As we think about God becoming a baby, coming to live with us here on earth, it interrupted everything. It interrupts our lives personally. It interrupts our church. It interrupts our community. It interrupts our world. And we're transformed because of it. So let's take a couple minutes now, sit with that, and let the Holy Spirit prepare you to be interrupted. Pray with me now. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Show me the areas of my life that need to be interrupted. May me see you and your love and your peace and your hope and your joy in new ways. Make us new this Christmas. Give us living water that transforms. And help us to shed off that fear, that shame, that worry. So that we can be agents of your joy and your love to those around us. Let us not be the same this season. Let us be made new in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.